0: Lord, as we come in, whatever season that we find ourselves in, um, spiritually, Paul would say, you know what manner of man I was in all seasons. And Whether it feels like um, fall that you're doing a work and knocking leaves off of us and things are a little bit cool right now and a little bit windy. Maybe some feel like it's wintertime or it's cold. Maybe some are going through a season of spring and summer where there's growth and just fruit that is abounding. Whatever the case may be, we know that you love us. You care for us. You desire to work in all of our lives. And Lord, as we study your word, uh, may there be not only words of encouragement and edification, but words of instruction and Lord, if conviction comes, it's because you love us. You desire for us to experience that abundant life, not to be weighed down with iniquity and sin. So may our hearts be prepared right now for what you have for us. Teachable. I know that we're tired and we can um, come in a long day, but Lord, help us be attentive to the things that you want to show us in your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we looked at the introduction last week and talked about Isaiah, it's, again, an absolutely incredible book, Uh, one of the most incredible books of all of the Bible. And Isaiah is like a miniature Bible. That is 66 chapters in Isaiah, just as there are 66 books in your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And when you look at the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah, it kind of parallels the Old Testament in that uh, there's more of of, um, an indictment against the nation. It talks more about judgment uh, coming against God's people, uh, things like that, how they were immoral, uh, how they have turned to idols, and how Judah had sinned. But also, as we look at the next 27 chapters, from chapters 40 to 66, that parallels more of the New Testament, because there's a lot in there speaking about the, the suffering Messiah that would come and like a, a sheep, you know, uh, before it shears, uh, slaughtered, um, that taking an iniquity upon us all, um, and just incredible prophecies concerning the suffering Messiah, the reigning Messiah, the glorious Messiah that is being fulfilled, you know, in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, But that message of hope and grace that we see all over the second part of the book of Isaiah, it parallels more of the new testament so as we go through the book of isaiah one of the things that to keep in mind that even though the first 39 chapters there's a lot of indictment that's there and incredible chapters that will speak about uh, prophecy concerning the nations uh, prophecies concerning um, the coming of the lord and judgment the day of the lord we need to understand these terms even as we're going to see it tonight. But there's also a message of hope, and that's one of the things to keep in mind when you go through the Old Testament, that it seems like that some people think, well, God was grumpy and that he was mean and judgmental in the Old Testament, and then he kind of mellowed out in the New Testament. But keep in mind that we're going to see his grace and mercy even in this chapter that uh, is given to us, and how God, that as he's indicting the nation, keep in mind That he's indicted a nation with a broken heart. That he is very much broken hearted over their sin. Just as a father, you know, uh, or a mother, you're broken hearted when you see a child that is in rebellion. And here is a heavenly father that is calling the nation back and his people back to come to him over and over and over again and his hand is mercy is reached out to them and so he began in chapter one as we see that isaiah would reign from the time of uzziah uzziah was a good king and we'll talk more about him specifically in just a few chapters but he reigned for 52 years and jothan was a pretty good king But then Ahaz came on the scene, and I think that chapter 1 here is going to speak a lot about the time that Ahaz was the king. He was probably uh, the worst king, him and Manasseh of of Judah. They introduced idol worship and all kinds of uh, eastern uh, mysticism and occultic practices. And the nation was plunged deep into false idol worship. And we see the reign of Ahaz here mentioned as we go through the book of Isaiah. And then there was Hezekiah. And so Isaiah would reign from about 740 B.C. to 680 B.C. He was ministering mostly to the house of Judah and to Jerusalem. But he did have some words for Israel, the ten northern tribes, before they were taken off into captivity by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. So here in chapter 1, he's indicting uh, the wickedness of Judah, and that will continue to include Jerusalem. And you recall that we just covered the first four verses, but he's indicting them, saying, listen, that an animal knows its owner, how the owner, the ox knows its owner, the donkey knows its master, How the animal recognizes that the master and the owner takes care of him, provides for him, and yet you have lost that. You have not realized that your master, your God, who has provided for you, brought you out of Egypt gave you this land has blessed you tremendously. He has provided for you and you have stopped recognizing that. So let's look at verse 4 of Isaiah chapter 1 again and pick it up there. Alas, sinful nation a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backwards. Now that term Holy One of Israel is a term that uh, and a title to the Lord that Isaiah gives to him 28 times in this book. Only six other times is it used in the scriptures. So you have forsaken the Holy One of Israel. You've forsaken his ways. You are one that, uh, as he goes on, you are a people laden with iniquity. It might be translated that you uh, have been weighed down. And I find that very interesting because on Sunday, when when you come out on Sunday, we're going to finish the Olivet Discourse in Luke chapter 21. And as Jesus finishes teaching that that the end of times to his disciples there as he's telling them about the signs of the end of the age and his coming. Then he would end with a special exhortation. He would say to them, make sure that you take heed to yourselves. And we'll talk more about that on Sunday, specifically what that means for you and for me. Very, very important that you and I take heed to ourselves spiritually. And then he goes on to give a warning. Lest you be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and with worldliness, worldly pleasures. And you see, this is what sin does, folks. It will weigh you down. And that if you don't take heed to yourselves, you and me, what happens is there's a dullness of heart that comes. And it's more than this will happen to you. This, this, you know, this is going to take place over time, a dullness of heart. And as you allow those things that come into your lives and they begin to choke out the word of God and begins to choke out the things of the Lord, you're going to be weighed down. And the thing to always keep in mind is iniquity. Sin is going to do you in. You see, sometimes people and even Christians that they'll think, "Well, I can do what I want to do, and I'm under grace." And and under grace means that I, I can be free to do what I want to do, and I'll live any way that I want. That's not what grace means. Grace means that you're free to live for Him. And in Paul in Romans chapter six, this is very important. He says, "Should we continue in sin that grace should abound?" He says, "Certainly not. You're dead to that stuff." Why would you want to do that? Because it weighs you down and it's going to hold you in bondage. And it's a loving father that says to us through his word, I want you to live after me. And that's where true freedom comes. But if any of us, if we have sin or carnality in our lives, it's going to weigh us down. It's going to hold us in bondage. It's going to put us in darkness. Do we understand that? And I do not know why for the life of me any pastor would have the the mindset of we're not going to mention sin to the congregation and there are more and more pastors that are that way that they don't want to mention sin that they you know just uh want to give happy messages and and i'm all for happy messages but listen the bible warns against sin and carnality and worldliness and we need to understand that as christians do you want to be weighed down with iniquity? Do you want to be weighed down with darkness and in bondage? I don't think any of us do. And we know that as we live for the Lord, that there's blessing and benefit walking in his ways and being in the light and not being deceived. So here is, you know, the, the Lord saying, listen, that you're laden with iniquity. You're corruptors. He's setting the tone for this indictment that we will see in the book of Isaiah. And in verse 5, why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more, and the whole head is sick. The whole heart faints from the sole of the foot even to the head. There is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, that they have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. And so here Isaiah gives this image of Judah who doesn't recognize their condition spiritually. It's an image of one who has been beaten and sore and there's no health. There's no healing that's taken place at all. And it's a terrible place to be. And it's a terrible place to be, listen, for anyone who's involved in sin. They don't even recognize their spiritual condition. And I think that that most of us, if not all of us, we see people that we care about and that we love and that we minister to, that they go the way of the world or continue in sin or carnality, and they don't even recognize their spiritual condition. They're blind to it. They don't see it. They're, They're beat up by the world and by the enemy. And they've refused to turn to a father who desires to forgive them and restore them, to begin to bring healing to them. And I just want to say tonight, if there's sin in your life, listen, the Lord loves you. But he's calling you to repent. And he's calling you to follow after him because he wants you to experience that abundant life. And he doesn't want you to be in bondage and beat up and in darkness. And as I've already mentioned, but he wants you to be in a good place, a healthy place. And so this indictment, they didn't realize their condition. Verse seven, your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land in your presence. And it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in the vineyard, as a hut in a garden of Cucumbers, as a besieged city, unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. So here we see that your country is desolate. Now, when you read Second Chronicles chapter 28, particularly during the reign of Ahaz, Ahaz was a terrible king. We're going to see in a few chapters That Isaiah is going to come to him as uh, Ahaz has the king of Israel and the king of Syria wanting to kill him. And, And it is Isaiah that is coming to him and saying, listen, turn to the Lord. And the Lord's got a word for you. And Ahaz, who was an idol worshiper, not right with the Lord whatsoever, he would not believe the word of Isaiah. And it was Isaiah that's going to say to him that if you don't believe the word of the Lord, you will not be established. Remember that. And when we get to chapter 6, underline that. Because if you and I do not believe the word of the Lord, we will not be established. We will not be established in the things of the Lord. We will not be established in that abundant life that he desires to bless us with, a life of blessing and wisdom and and to be able to have the strength of the Lord and to be able to experience the things that God has for us to live life the way it was meant to be lived. Do we understand that he doesn't want us to live life after sin and carnality? But he has so much more for you and for me. And so here is this indictment. Your country is left to you desolate. Ahaz, that during, as you read Second Chronicles 28, during his reign, they were attacked and pillaged by Israel and Syria and Edom and the Assyrians. And what Ahaz did is he made a peace treaty with the Assyrians. He went to the enemy and he paid them off and looked for their help. And that's one of the things that we will see in this book. Even in Isaiah chapter 30 that we see that he indicts, you know, Israel for you seek counsel, but not of me. And you've gone to Egypt, Egypt being a picture of the world. And so that indictment we will see given there. And so here is Ahaz making a peace treaty with the enemy. And did the enemy stop coming to down to Judah to take over Judah and to hold it captive? No. Now the Lord would intervene. But I just want to remind you that don't make a peace treaty with the enemy. Don't make a peace treaty with the world. And sometimes we think in the situation that I'm in or whatever it is that I'm facing, I'm going to compromise, uh, make a peace treaty with, with the world and the way of the world. Uh, the enemy comes and tempts us and we think, well, if, if I just allow this in my life, then Maybe everything will be okay. Listen, the enemy hates you. And he's a liar. And he wants to wipe you out. And he'll dangle that carrot and put that temptation there. And he'll say, make a peace treaty with me. Things will be easier. Things will be a lot better. What does the Lord have for you? And that's the way he works. Don't make a peace treaty with the enemy. Don't make a peace treaty with the world. You continue to go to the one who is the prince of peace. The one whose his ways are true and right and his promises are going to be fulfilled in your life as you trust in him and look to him. So in this, we see that the indictment continues here. Verse 10, the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom, give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and of the fat of the fed cattle. And I do not delight in the blood of bulls or in the lambs or goats. And verse 12, when you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? bring no more Futile or that is worthless sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and in the sacred meetings. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates, for they are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of, of blood so here they were going through religiousness listen it isn't that you walked into jerusalem and judah and you know it's just dark and you know it just uh, it was uh, you know spiritually dark It, it was there was immorality there was idol worship but you went there and there was a form of religiousness that was there that's what we need to understand He's saying, listen, you come and you bring these sacrifices. You come and you observe the Sabbaths and the new moons and and you call out to me. You know, you, you come and you do these sacrifices, the calling of the assemblies. And he says, I can't stand it anymore. I don't delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. And you're appearing before me and you pray to me, but I will not hear because... Even though they had a religion, they didn't have true relationship. They were full of idol worship and accepting those things which were an abomination to the Lord. You see, we see the same thing today, unfortunately. And we're seeing it grow in the church at large. We're seeing that the church at large, there are churches, there are ministries, there are mainline denominations that are accepting that which is sin and an abomination before the Lord that we get clearly in his word. But yet they think that it's good. They're calling evil good. They're accepting that. They you know, will give prayers to the Lord. They'll quote the Bible. But we see how far they are from really believing the whole of scripture. We see that they are forsaking the Lord in the ways of the Lord and accepting immorality and all kinds of sin and carnality. And and so it breaks our hearts when we see that. And we're seeing more and more of that. Matter of fact, in the last days, that we know that there's going to be a falling away from the faith and given over to doctrines of demons, is what Paul wrote to Timothy, that in the last days, that there are going to be those with itchy ears given over to fables and myths. And I believe that we're seeing that happen in our day today, most clearly. He has no delight in their religiousness, because they were mocking God. And that can happen today where well, there's a mocking of God. And he doesn't delight if there's that acceptance of sin and carnality for the sake of, you know, we're just going to love one another. Well, love includes truth. Those two things go together, right? Always remember that. That we are not truly loving others if we are not going to give them the truth of what God's word declares. So we need to stand on God's word and righteousness, and we need to give truth in love, loving others. But we never want to become a church. We never want to be a family. We never want to be an individual where we give in to the pressures of culture and society and begin to accept that which is sin before the Lord. And that's what we're seeing, unfortunately, in the church even today. And here, this is what, you know, it's a slippery slope that they began on. They began with a little bit of carnality and sin and idol worship. And pretty soon it took over their spiritual lives. They didn't even recognize the condition that they were in as we already read. And so we see that um, in uh, verse 16, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doing. From before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. He's saying, wash yourselves, you know, make yourselves clean. Now, we are clean by the blood of Jesus Christ in this wonderful promise that is given to us in verse 18 that as Isaiah, speaking the words of the Lord, now come and let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Isn't that a marvelous promise that is given to us? Here he's saying, wash yourselves. He doesn't leave them without any hope. He doesn't indict them, and then that's it. But he calls them to repentance. He calls them to himself, and we're going to see this over and over again. And he said, let's reason together. That your sins be like crimson, they shall be washed. Your sins, they shall be white as snow, even though they're like scarlet. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And as we consider the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from our sins, I just want to say this. That the greatest need that any man or any woman has is to be forgiven of sin. And that only comes through the cross of Jesus Christ. And as we come and recognize, as he calls us to repentance, to turn to him and to accept him as Lord and Savior and what he did on the cross at Calvary, we are forgiven of sin. And that is such a wonderful, glorious thing, again, coming to him. Jesus, who came to take care of the sin problem. And that is the gospel message. Listen, there's a lot of attempts to give the gospel without the message of the cross. You can't do that. You can't give the gospel without mentioning sin. You can't give the good news, that's what the word gospel means, unless you give the bad news first. And the bad news is all of us have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned, every single one of us. And Adam, when he sinned, as Romans chapter 5 says, that then sin and death came into the world. It affected every single one of us. So that's why Jesus came. That's the good news, isn't it? Jesus came to take care of the sin problem. And that's the message that we need to give to others very clearly. Listen, he came and he desires for you to turn to him and be forgiven, to cry out to him. Just as Jesus cried out, it is finished on that cross. I've done the work and I paid the price. I paid the penalty of your sins. I took all of your sins upon myself and made atonement. I am the propitiation, the satisfaction. And so here we know That forgiveness comes as we come to Jesus Christ. And I just want to say, if there's anybody listening to this message, that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, turn to him and ask for forgiveness. Because as you do and calling on the name of the Lord, and in sincerity of heart, that forgiveness comes, realizing that he died for you. And he validated what he did by rising from the grave. The tomb is empty. He rose from the grave. He proved he's the son of God and and that his sacrifice was real for you and for me. He is our salvation. He is your salvation. There's none other. But I also want to say this, that if there's anybody here today that you've been involved in sin and the Lord's been dealing with you, the conviction has come. Always remember that when the Lord brings conviction, it's because he loves you. If he's chastening you, Maybe you're feeling a little bit of that weight through the conviction. It's not to wipe you out, but to bring you to that place of where you turn to him and call out to him and repent and, and to call out him to be forgiven and to restored. He wants to bring that healing to you. Listen, don't ignore the convictions of the Lord. He convicts those who love him, who are his children. Don't reject the chastening of the Lord, as Hebrew tells us. Just as a father chastens his child, the Lord chastens us as his children because of his love for you and for me. And he desires to bring that forgiveness as we cry out to him, restore that relationship with him, because sin it just man. Sin it separates us from God, but as a Christian, when we sin or are involved in sin, it really hinders that fellowship with him. Oh, you have a relationship with him. It's kind of like my mom's here. And I can call mom on the phone. She's my mom. She'll always be my mom. But when I hang up the phone, the fellowship is done for that time. And when you're involved in worldliness and carnality of some sort, oh, you can still be a child of God. But that fellowship is hindered. That fellowship is greatly hindered. And to know that the Lord is not going to bless sin and carnality and compromise. He desires for you to turn away from that and turn to Him. So here is, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Your sins are like scarlet. They shall be white as snow. They're are red like crimson they shall be as well i also want to say this that the bible also talks of being washed with the water of the word ephesians chapter 5 jesus said to his disciples you are cleansed by the words that i've given to you and then also psalm 119 the psalmist who is probably david i think says how can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed To the word of God. Keep washing yourself with the word of God. I commend you for coming out on Wednesday nights. And studying through the Old Testament. and Through Isaiah. Keep taking in the word of God every day. There's a cleansing effect that happens. Because at the end of the day. I don't know about you. But I feel so dusty from the world. And all the stuff that's around us. And I need that washing of the word. Just to refresh and renew me. And to take heed to it. As I do, I know that I'm walking in his ways, in the ways of the Lord. But here we continue in verse 19. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. I like that verse. Does it remind you of anything? When we went through the Psalms, remember as we went through Psalm uh, 37, the Psalm of David that says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord He'll give you the desires of your heart. Here's David that he, he's saying, listen, trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, feed on his faithfulness. And in Psalm 34, he says something similar that David writes, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed is the man who trusts in him. Listen, we're going to talk about this a little bit more specifically in a couple of weeks. When Jesus was talking to the people on that hillside in Galilee, they came looking for him after defeating the, uh, the 5,000. And they, they came and they said, where were you? And Jesus said, you're only coming to me because I fed you yesterday. You need to eat of the bread that comes from heaven. And Jesus goes on and he declares to be the bread of life. Whoever eats of me shall never hunger. Whoever drinks of me shall never thirst. You believe in me, you're going to have eternal life. I'm the bread of life that has come from heaven for you. And so as he's talking about in symbolism those things, eat of me and drink of me, he's talking about fellowship, isn't he? He's talking about believing in him. And here the people are going, what do you mean? What are you talking about? This is too hard. And they began to leave. And he turned to his disciples and he said, you want to go with them? And Peter said some incredible words. He said, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. The Lord desires for you to eat and drink of him. He said, come, drink of me. Any of you that thirst, the invitation is given, And out of your innermost will flow torrents of living water. He promised that living water to that Samaritan woman there in John chapter 4. He says, you drink of the water here of the well, Jacob's well, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I have given to you, you'll never thirst again. Listen, are you thirsty tonight? Are you hungry spiritually? Feed upon the Lord. Feed upon Him and see that He's good. And feed on His faithfulness. And you're going to see Him do incredible things in your life, and your soul's going to be satisfied. You're not going to find lasting satisfaction and fulfillment in the world or in yourself. I'll speak for myself. When I get down and discouraged is when I'm always focusing on myself. But when I begin to feed upon him and there's that closeness and fellowship and every day spending time with him and his word, oh, man, it's so wonderful. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you when I'm in heaven. Give me a cup of coffee in the morning in my backyard (coughs) when it's nice and warm, when it's cool even. Even. To just read the word of God and spend time with the Lord is so refreshing. And it's so satisfying. And that's my prayer that you would find that. To really enjoy the Lord. And find your satisfaction in the Lord. And to feed upon his goodness and his faithfulness. And that's what Isaiah is declaring. The Lord is saying to them, come and and eat of the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And then in verse 21, how the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loves bribes and follows after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless, nor uh, does the cause of them, the widows, come before them. Well, he's already mentioned that. Keep in mind that the Lord had a heart for the orphans, for the widows, for the poor, for the stranger. And he's going to indict them in the way they treated them. But in these verses here, in verses 21 through 23, Jerusalem was to be the center of worship, but corruption had come into the city. The city was known for its faithfulness. David, who brought the Ark of the Covenant, you remember, in Second Samuel, up to the city of David, to, to Jerusalem. He wanted Jerusalem to be the center of worship and the Lord's presence. That's what the Ark of the Covenant, you know, would symbolize. That's where he met between the cherubim. There, the Ark of the Covenant. So he brings in, he puts in a tabernacle of meeting and David so had such a heart for the Lord that he wanted the city of David Jerusalem to be that place of worship and to honor the Lord in the presence of the Lord then his son Solomon builds the temple and when they dedicate that marvelous temple that the glory of the Lord came in and was manifested so much so that the priests had to stop Ministering because of the glory of the Lord, and at this time, not far from now, because of the corruption that had come to Jerusalem in the temple, the glory of the Lord was going to depart. That you read in the book of Ezekiel, and here was a city that was dedicated to the Lord God's chosen city. That all of a sudden they're playing the spiritual, you know, um, adultery here. You've become the harlot, you know. You're violent. The silver has become dross. You know, everyone loves brides. They were uh, very, very um, corrupt and and they were greedy. They didn't defend those who they were supposed to defend. In verse 34, therefore, the Lord says, The Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, I will rid myself of my adversaries and take vengeance on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you and thoroughly purge away your dross and take away all your alloy. I will restore your judges as, as the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterwards, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Listen, he's saying here as, as he's ministering to them and speaking to them that God's going to deal with his enemies. And they were like, you know, acting like the enemies of God. And he says, I want to do a refining work in you. I want to purge away the dross, the impurities, is what I want to do. And as I do that, then you're going to see that your judges are going to be restored and bringing true justice to people. Your counselors are going to be restored. as the beginning, giving the counsel of the Lord. And the city is going to be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Listen, I think this is very important. In verse 25, and thoroughly purge away your dross. That is the work that the Lord wants to do in you. And he wants to do it in me. You know, the goldsmith, the silversmith, would heat up that metal and became liquid. And then the dross would come to the top and they would scrape it off. And they continued that process until the goldsmith, the silversmith, could see his reflection in the gold and silver. And that's where they knew that it was pure. Some of you might remember that old song, that we, contemporary song that we used to sing, Refiner's Fire. You know, make me like gold and silver. You know, the Lord wants to do that refining work in you and me. You know how he does it? It turns up the heat. And it's not always easy. And some of you, as the Lord is convicting you, that you know he's dealing with you, he's turning up the heat. Again, it's not to condemn you. The enemy comes and condemns you. But he's desiring for those impurities that come up so he can scrape it off and do that work in your life so you can be restored again. To close fellowship with him and blessing and benefit that comes from him. Sometimes he allows things to happen in our lives that aren't always easy because he's doing a purifying work in our lives. And I know he's done that process in my life. The trials that I've gone through, it's like the heat has been turned up and, Lord, what is going on? But as I trust in him and look to him and cry out to him, I know that there's those impurities that come up and he's just scraping them off and desiring to make me more like him. He's still got a work to do. But it's that refining work that he desires to do in all of us to to scrape away the dross and the impurities to make us more like him. And one day, he's going to take us home, and we're going to be like that fine gold and silver. He continues in verse 27, Zion, which is another name for Jerusalem, shall be redeemed with justice and her penitence with righteousness. The destruction of transgressors and of sinners shall be together. And those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. For they shall be ashamed of the terebinth trees which you have desired. And you shall be embarrassed because of the gardens which you have chosen. For you shall be as a terapith whose leaf fades and as a garden that has no water. The strong shall be as a tender and the work of it as a spark. Both will burn together and no one shall quench them. So here, as he speaks in these, um, speaking about um, the terapith trees, at this time, the wooden groves that we also see in the historical books were places of great immorality in pagan worship. It says your terapith trees are going to wither the leaves. You're going to end up in that place uh, as they continued in pagan worship and immorality. That your nation, what's happened spiritually, you're like dry, tender fuel ready for the judgment to go up. You now, when you go to Genesis chapter 18, you see Abraham, who was a friend of God, under a terapith tree. And that's where he met the Lord. It was under the terrapah tree that Abraham would meditate on the things of the Lord. So I want to ask you this. What is your terrapah tree? Where is it that you dwell? Is it the world and the things of the world where you're hanging out and your leaf is beginning to fade and you're drying out spiritually, compromised, whatever it may be, or your terapia tree more like Abraham, that it's a place where you're growing in the Lord and meditating on things of the Lord where you meet the Lord every single day, where you're being refreshed and renewed in him and he's blessing you, and ministering to you. What's your terapia tree like spiritually? And I pray that we be like Abraham who met the Lord under that tree and was a friend of God. And that was blessed by the Lord. So chapter 2, real quick, we'll get through a few verses here, and then we'll finish up tonight. The word of Isaiah, the son of Amos, concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now, in chapter 2 here, that it's going to speak of the Messiah's reign. And Isaiah saw in verse 1, he had a vision. And it's interesting, when you read the first three verses of Isaiah chapter 2, it's repeated in Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Remember, they were contemporaries. So the word is given to them because it's the same spirit of the Lord, right? It is the Bible here, even though there's 40 different authors written over a 1,500 year span, written on three continents. The authors had different backgrounds, written in different times, you know. And they speak on hundreds of controversial and different subjects. You see that there's one author, isn't there? That is the Holy Spirit. That's what makes this book so amazing. The prophecies that are here, the, the 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 promises of the Lord, the revealing of the Lord, and and as Peter would write, that Peter would say, as um, in Second uh, Peter chapter two, he said, knowing this verse, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy man of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So this book there's one author, the Holy Spirit, from Genesis 1.1 to Revelation 22, 21. It's all inspired by God. Remember Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. That's your memory verse if you haven't memorized it for the week. That all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God-breathed, and it is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. That it may thoroughly equip every man for every work. That's you and me. All scripture is inspired, God-breathing. Always keep that in mind. One author using human instruments to write the word of God. Now, I point that out because here, I'm just a simple Bible teacher, and here he says that the word of Isaiah, the son of Amos, concerning Judah and Jerusalem, it shall come to pass in the latter days. It shall come to pass. Not that it might happen, or it's a possibility, or wouldn't it be cool if this all came to pass? But it is inspired by God. And it is going to come to pass. And even as Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse that he's going to talk about, that these things are going to come to pass. And the reason I mentioned that is because in chapter 2, it's talking about the Messiah's reign. And in chapter 2, is talking about the millennium reign of Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and, and read through verse 4. Then we'll finish up. That the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, he will teach us his ways, and he shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, he shall judge between the nations, and rebuke many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn of war anymore. Now, if we go through Isaiah, we're going to learn about the reign of Christ, We're going to learn about the day of the Lord. That's going to be the rest of the chapter. We'll pick it up next time. We're going to see the prophecies concerning the nation. Absolutely incredible. So we need to keep all these things in mind as we go through it. And some of those prophecies that we will see were fulfilled when Babylon came and took away Judah and Jerusalem. When the Assyrians came and took away the house of Israel. And some of those prophecies have not been fulfilled. So we'll kind of cover all that as we go through it. But here is the reign of Christ. And that as we look at it, we see that um, it's speaking of the latter days here. It shall come to pass. And in that, that the kingdom age will be established on Mount Zion. Again, that is Jerusalem. And uh, all the nations shall flow to it. And during the reign of Christ, Israel will be the leading nation of the earth. Now. Again, I'm a simple Bible teacher. We're going to see verse after verse, sometimes whole chapters, of the reign of Christ that is going to be given to us. There are those who hold the view all millenniast. All means none. There is going to be no millennium reign of Christ. And there are those who hold that view. I disagree with that. The reason that I do is because if I believe, and and we know that, the 109 prophecies concerning Jesus first coming, they were fulfilled to the letter. Every detail, dot and tittle was fulfilled. So why would I just spiritualize the prophecies given concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ in his reign? And we just read in verse 2, it shall come to pass There's nothing in Scripture to give us indication that these things won't come to pass, even as Jesus, teaching his disciples in Olivet Discourse, he said, it will come to pass. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So there are those who believe there's not going to be a tribulation period. There's not going to be a millennium reign of Jesus Christ. That Israel doesn't play a role in the last days. And to do that and take that view means that you have to ignore hundreds of verses in the Old Testament, many verses in the book of Isaiah, and sometimes whole chapters. It's going to come to pass. And the Lord's going to come and he's going to rule and reign. And he's going to rule over the nations as the nations are going to come up to him and learn of him and walk in his ways. He's going to rule with a rod of iron. Psalm chapter 2 tells us. And isn't it interesting in verse 4 here that they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn of war anymore. Do you know where that's written? That's written on a plaque as you enter into the United Nations. They take that verse. And that's what you see as you enter into that building from Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. Now, of course, they take it out of context. I applaud those who are working for peace. But there will be no peace until the Prince of Peace comes to rule and reign. And that's when righteousness is going to cover the earth as waters cover the sea. But we have seen a lot of attention has been given to the United Nations this week because of the General Assembly that do every year. And I just want to say this as we end. As we go to prayer, we need to pray for our nation. We saw our president give an address. It was a very heavy address yesterday, wasn't it? And whether you agree with what he says or you're horrified by what he says, here's the thing. We are commanded as Christians to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for our nation. Because I'll tell you this. There's perilous times that are coming. Not to be negative and to put undue burden on you, but we are warned in the scripture of the things that are coming and the birth pangs that we've been talking about. And all of a sudden, we see ourselves with great challenges that are before us. Even as Jesus said, there's going to be perplexity of nations with distress. No way out. Don't know how to solve it. We need to be praying for our nation. And we need to be praying for our leaders. And we need to be praying that there's a revival that happens. A great awakening to the word of God, to the gospel message, turning to him to heal our land. If not, it's going to be bad news. And so be in prayer. The Lord's going to come. He's going to set everything right. But what we want to do is we want to be watching. We want to be looking. And we don't want our hearts to be dull. All right? We don't want to be weighed down with the things of the world. But to be praying always, as Jesus said, that you may escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for these words and... Lord, we thank you for the truth of Scripture given to us. And Father, even though these words can be heavy, there's words of hope and encouragement. We know that Jesus Christ came the first time to die for our sins, allowed himself to be beaten, to be hung on a cross because he made atonement for us. And I want to pray, first of all, if there's anyone here that you've never surrendered to, your life to Jesus Christ. He loves you and he came to die for you. I don't care what you've done. All manner of sin is forgiven, Jesus said. That as you come to him, that the blood of Jesus Christ, even though your sins may be like scarlet, they shall become white as snow, forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. He loves you. He's provided that for you. You come in faith and turn to him and recognize your need to be forgiven. And I've talked to those even recently, even this week, that feel like, how can I be forgiven? The Lord forgives you if you call out to him and turn to him. As you repent, that means turn direction and surrender your life to him. So the invitation is given for you to do that, to know that He's alive. He conquered the sin in the grave to bring life to you, right relationship with the Father, to give you a new beginning, a new heart. Will you accept that? If that means anything to anyone that's listening to this message, that you can pray, Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. For I am a sinner, I know. And I believe you died on the cross for me. Forgive me. And I ask that, Jesus, you be my personal Lord and Savior. And I want to know you. And I thank you for this new beginning and to walk with you. And I thank you for your love. I come to you to live for you. In Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer, when we finish here in just a minute, I want you to come up and tell me the decision you made. But for us that are here, just a couple more minutes and we're done. Maybe there's been compromise or sin or carnality in your life. Maybe you just struggle. The Lord loves you. He speaks to your heart and He says, let's reason together. He desires to bring that forgiveness as you just keep calling out to Him. Knowing that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he's faithful to just, to cleanse us from all sins as we come and confess those sins. He's already paid the price for them. And for you to come and be restored and refreshed. And maybe you're here and the Lord's opening your eyes. You you don't realize the spiritual just beating that you're taken or deception he wants you to be well well with your souls we even sang tonight will you turn to him he loves you doesn't want you to trust in the world or compromise he wants you to trust in him father we pray for our nation too nation that has forsaken you. I, I read these words and it reminds me so much of our nation. And Lord, I pray for our leaders, our president, that they would humble themselves, turn to you. We need your help. It's a dangerous world out there. Father, we pray there to be a commitment to you, a turning to you, a revival, a great awakening that comes through the prayers of the saints and the word of God. Lord, I pray that you would just pour out your spirit on this place, on our families, Lord, on this nation. And Lord, I pray for those who are here who are hurting, hurting for loved ones that are involved in sin. Lord, seeing what's happening to them. And Father, I just, we lift them up to you right now. Just lift them up by name to the Lord. And Lord, you see and you care for them. That you would draw them to yourself. That you would bring Christians into their lives. or Lord, that you would open their eyes spiritually and soften their hearts to turn to you. Father, I pray you take everyone home safely now. That we would continue on there. Our tree would be seeking you and meeting with you. That that's our rest. And feeding upon your goodness and faithfulness. So Lord, thank you for this time tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 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 Would you please stand?